No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how to boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. Let's go. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are. It's Wednesday night, and you're live with another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Thank you for joining us, everyone. As always, tonight's recommended drink is cheap box wine. Tonight's recommended snack, bland brand, no-name crackers. This is the official wine and crackers broadcast right here at 7 p.m. I'll see you now. 7 p.m., that's right. 6 p.m. Definitely not 6 p.m. We've never been on at 6 p.m. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know, people telling us that we're supposed to be on at 6 and we're an hour late. (laughs) Ridiculousness, if you ask me. Uh, Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to become a full-time supporter of the show, then please, by all means, head to patreon.com slash boogiebumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, ladies... If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, then of course you can by heading to at Boogie Bumper. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. So much to get through and so little time. Wednesday night. Hope you had a lovely day because I certainly did. The first item I have for you tonight, one of my favorite things that occurs in this nightmarish hellscape we call home here in 2021, ladies and gentlemen. One of my favorite things is when we start melding hot topics. That's what I really enjoy. When we can take like one story and then turn it into another story by adding in like just just a little dabble, just a little sprinkle of another news item. That's one of my favorite things. So we'll be doing that tonight and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Before we get to any of that, though, I have to apologize first, first, straight out of the blocks, straight out of the starting gates. I have to apologize to winning TV, Phil D'Angelo. Because it was only after I finished Monday night's show that I realised that Phil had donated via Streamlabs. By the way, if you want to tip tonight's proceedings, the preferred method is, of course. See how I did that there? See, I did a little melding of my own. Fuck them. Fuck them. Because that's... Because that's what a cheap, pathetic hack I am. Isn't it nice? So, if you want to leave a tip uh, during tonight's proceedings, streamlabs.com slash bumper or intermittently... You can head to dlive.tv slash boogiebumper, get some of those succulent lemons and leave those soury, slippery little suckers in my fucking fruit bowl, mate. Jim Edwards say never apologise. No, this is this is warranted. So I have to apologise to Phil D'Angelo, winning TV, dlive.tv slash winning TV, who left a tip on Monday night on Streamlabs and during the intro, and I said, oh, look, you know, because he said, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll read the tweet. Maybe I can replay it. Here we go. All right, this is this the tweet, pardon me. The donation. So this is what Phil sent us on Monday. Happy Hanukkah, hey. my niggas. Oh, Winning underscore TV tipped $5. This is what the Boogieston cart patrols Boogieston. think of non-micronation daylight savings time. Okay. <laughs> this is what the Boogieston, the Boogieston cart patrols think of non-micronation's daylight savings time. And I said to Phil, look, we're doing some cart narcs later. I'll get to it at the end. 
Winning TV, dlive.tv slash winning TV. Thank you, my liege. Now we get Cartnarks tonight. We will get Cartnarks tonight. I will definitely go to Cartnarks tonight. But I'm not going to wait to play the clip because I said to Phil, oh, look, we're doing Cartnarks later on. And it's always the case in this show. Pardon me. Just had to sneeze. Oh, there's a double up coming. Ah. Oh. Oh. Don't, don't you hate that? <laughs> I kind of hate it, but I kind of like it. You know when you sneeze and then instantly you feel like the double sneeze. I'm a, I'm a notorious double sneezer. If I sneeze once, I pretty much always sneeze twice. But I was going to say, don't you hate it? when you sneeze once and then you feel the second sneeze coming, but then like right at the end, it misses out. It doesn't come. I was going to say, don't you hate it? But actually, if I think about it, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Because what, what, what fun would a sneeze be if you knew that it was going to happen, right? I, I now, because I'm just, I'm doing this on the fly. I'm just thinking about it. I now see the second sneeze as like, you know, a sex game. You know, a little bit of tease, a little bit of tease and denial, you know? <laughs> okay, I'm coming, babe. Oh, baby, I'm coming, I'm coming. Oh my God, I love you so much. Give it to me, daddy, give it to me and stop. <laughs> no, no, not stop now. We have to go through with this. Let me have my sneeze. Nuh-uh, so the anticipation and not knowing, I think, is what makes the second sneeze worth having. Um, now, what the fuck were we talking about? Winning TV, dlive.tv slash winning TV. So he donated this clip and I said, look, we'll get to it at the end of the show when we do cartnarks, when we review the cartnarks. So I'll play it then because it should it should fit in nicely. And then we never got to the cartnarks and we never did it because on this show often... You know, I have I, I say something at the start of the show. Oh, we're going to get to this topic. We're going to do this. And then we never get there. <laughs> because I ramble on and yammer and annoy people, which is why, you know, so few of you listen to this show. And that's okay. <laughs> I don't blame you. You have to be an incredibly pe- patient person to listen to this podcast. You really do. So you're, you've got the patience of a saint. So I'm not going to do that tonight. Instead, we're going to go straight to Phil's item that he tipped via streamlabs.com streamlabs.com slash boogie bumper by the way so this was sent through by phil uh this is this is what the boogie stand car patrols think of non-micronations daylight savings time yes because we hate daylight savings because we're normally on at six not really but we're just saying that bro what the fuck what's he gonna do to me a nigga can i fight for (laughs) direct to the point job done. Uh, Fat Keck Boy in the chat. Thank you for joining us, sir. Boogie needs 115 subs to uh, on YouTube to get to 1K. Hey, man, I appreciate you spreading the link, and I'll never I'll never criticize anybody for spreading a link of this show, but to be honest, I've been at like 800 and something subs on YouTube for about two years. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you trying, man. I love, I love the thought that you've put into it. I love the effort, but between you and me, this show is never getting to a thousand subs, my man. <laughs> it's just something we it's something we cannot do. The pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow and we just can't get there. Happy St. Patrick's Day, buddy. We'll we'll just never make it. We'll make it to New York someday, won't we, sir? Sure we will, Timmy. Sure we will. <laughs> 
We're never going to get there. But I appreciate the thought. All right, where the hell were we? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Monday night edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. I'd like to merge a couple of topics for you. Like I said, one of my favorite things that goes on in 2021. In the in the in the ever-present search for cheap, tacky clickbait on the internet. That's what we do. So, I'm sure you all you've all heard about the Bill Burr the Bill Burr racist incident by now. I'm sure you've heard about it. Bill Burr is a funny one, especially with, you know, because I'm sure you know a few people like this. I know a few hardcore, like, Trump supporters, right? And for ex- doing things like, remember when Ricky Gervais would say funny things at one of those award shows? I forget which one. I'm not really an award show guy. I forget which one he was hosting. The, it, it was like the second biggest movie one, not the proper movie one, not the Oscars, but the one below it. Whatever that is again, the Emmys, is it? So he was hosting the Emmys and, you know, telling jokes about people and, like, all, all of these MAGA commentators and MAGA people like, yeah, Ricky Gervais, he's our guy, you know? And I remember thinking at the time, oh, don't, because <laughs> he's, he's just being funny. His personal politics, you're not going to like him. He's just being funny. You, you probably never heard of Ricky Gervais before this. If you have, you've never really seen much of him. You've, you've probably never heard his stand-up before. You've never heard him talk about, you know, social issues and stuff before. He's really not on your side. He's just saying funny things, to which I tip my hat, because funny things are... I oh, was at the Golden Globes. Thank you, Foggy, in the chat, ladies and gentlemen. The Golden Globes. So what the fuck is the Emmys, then? Is the Emmys TV? All right, so the Emmys is the TV awards and the Golden Globes is like the shitty movie awards and the Oscars is like the big movie awards. But then then they merged the Emmys and the Golden Globes or something, didn't they? I don't know. See, this is why I have my mate Greeno. He keeps track of all the awards. He even watches red carpet events. I mean, he's that fucking gay. He's married with two kids, but he's, he's gay as well. <laughs> Well, I mean, just because you're married doesn't mean you can't be gay. And Bill Burr, he's a funny one because I think he just says funny things and people, oh, he's he's on our side this week. But then next week he'll say something that they disagree with and instantly they're like, oh, fuck Bill Burr. He's a traitor. And it's like, no, he, he was never really on your team to begin with. He's one of those characters that can make people, you know, twist and get angry. They can love him and hate him twice in the same day, right? But, you know, just because you're married with two kids doesn't mean you're gay. Just like with Bill Burr, just because you're married to a black chick doesn't mean you're not racist. This is what we're finding out now this week. Apparently Bill Burr, big racist guy. Because it's the other side's turn. It's not just like the MAGA types who can, you know, be in love with a comedian or a commentator one day and then hate them the next. The same thing with Tucker Carlson, right? How many times on this show have we over the last few years point out the, the the strange idiosyncratic viewership of Tucker Carlson where MAGA people will be like, fuck Tucker, fuck Tucker. He doesn't do enough to support Trump one week. And then the next week he'll come out and do a Tucker thing where he's very being very narky and, you know, lecturing some idiot. And they'll go, oh, fucking Tucker's our guy. We love Tucker. And it's like, hang on, last week you hated the guy, <laughs> you know? Bill Burr's now having this experience with people on the left, or you know, maybe not even people on the left, just people who see racism everywhere. 
Apparently, he says spicy things about black people from time to time. My my whole response to about this, I, I tweeted it out, and this is my genuine belief. Look, if you're having regular sex with a black chick and you're a white guy, and you aren't at least sometimes doing some kind of like 1800s role-playing shit in the bedroom, then you're probably fucking gay. You are. Like if you're not if you're not doing at least if you haven't at least done a little bit of like yes massa shit right come on what's that that's the come on man that's fucking half of the turn on with having sex with a black chick let's be honest here to get to that stage where you can play like you know the the plantation owner <laughs> you run into the help out in the field right Just dress dress her up in one of those little bonnets and shit fuck man come on. <laughs> like that's hard. That's part of the fun of having a black girlfriend in the first place. Why would you deny somebody that right of passage? Fucking hell. Think of the fun you'll have. So if you're not doing that at least on some level a little bit, even just a little bit, then you're probably like, you know, a very neatish, bold frame glasses male feminist type who only cries after he has sex with his black girlfriend. And she's probably only having sex with you so she can, you know, have somewhere to live. <laughs> That's what I think. Unless, unless you, if you don't have the balls to, you know, at least ask, hey, you want to do a little bit of role-playing here? Then you probably go. So Bill Burr's being accused of racism because he says things about black people, even though he's married to one. And this tweet, very rarely does a tweet go viral outside of Twitter. But this thing has been ratioed into non-existence because it's fantastic. Clayburn Griffin, who's now Twitter famous, wrote this, and I quote, in response to people talking about, oh, is Bill Burr a racist or not? Quote, while I'm not suggesting Bill Burr is a racist, a white man having a non-white wife can sometimes be a sign of racism. Yes, what isn't a sign of racism? Let's be honest here. <laughs> Foggy in the chat. You did the work getting her in bed. Reward yourself. A wonderful attitude. <laughs> I deserve this, honey. <laughs> I deserve this, honey. Now go make me some collard greens. So you shouldn't assume someone isn't racist just because they own a minority sex servant. Listen to this. The tweet continues, they may very well have one because they're racist. So they might have a black wife because they're a racist, believe it or not. So this is fantastic. Now, like I said, this guy's fucking, you know, digital ass was getting pounded to sand over this. To the point where, I think, is it pronounced Nia or Nia? I don't know. I'm going to say Nia. Nia Burr, the black wife of Bill Burr, actually quote tweeted him, and replied something to the effect of, shut the fuck up, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> to which he replied, believe it or not, because these idiots always double down, to which he replied something along the lines of, oh, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't talking about you, sweetheart. Which made me smile. I was like, wow, the ball's on this kid. But anyway... So Bill Burr's going through this, this racism angle. Now, on Monday night, do you remember we spoke about the very industrious 11-year-old boy, a black boy who's been adopted by white parents, 
who was selling N-word passes to his friends at school and had made almost $1,000 taking donations from on Venmo. He's got his own Venmo account. Remember that kid? To, and to that kid, we once again applaud. He's our entrepreneur here on the week here at the Daily Boogie. We love this fucking kid. 11-year-old selling N-word passes to his white upper-middle-class clueless friends. <laughs> and they, remember, there was a range of pricing in the N-word passes that he had available. They went, they started at $20 and they went up to $50. I guess you could call more important people the N-word if you bought the more expensive option. So he's an absolute fucking genius, this kid. So we covered that. And, you know, the, the complexities that arrive with an interracial relationship, you know, whether it's wife to husband or husband to wife or son to mother or brother to sister, whatever the relationship is, there's always these complex questions that need to be answered about race and racism and who is actually being the oppressor. These things must take place. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, let's merge our topics here tonight. Daily Boogie podcast on a Wednesday. From Cosmopolitan magazine, white people in interracial relationships understand racism better Sure, but at what cost to black partners? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, man, if I'm gonna get busy with a black chick, then I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be doing that 1800s role playing shit. I'm going to. It's part of the reason why we're fucking in the first place is so I can open that door. <laughs> and I'm, I know you want to open it too. You're not going to admit it to your friends. You're not even going to admit it to me, except for one night, like after a few too many drinks, you're going to whisper in my ear something like, make me your slave. And I'm going to be like, oh yeah, it's on. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Now cut off her feet so she can't run away. What? What? No, no, cut her. I mean, that would be pretty hot too, let's be honest. Though. Make sure you put a tarp down though, before you do any kind of limb removal. White people in interracial relationships understand racism better, sure, but at what cost to black partners? Yes, it must be awful for the black partners. Dating somebody who isn't black, number one, and number two, cares about racism, must be awful. Prince Harry may have done the work. Oh, we're also merging in, by the way, as our example tonight for interracial couple, we're using the very common man, royal family. <laughs> you know... You know, Harry and Megan's problems are just like ours. They're just like you and me, guys. What a fine example of an interracial couple. <laughs> During his interview with Oprah, Prince Harry admitted that it took being in a relationship with Meghan Markle, a mixed-race woman, for him to learn about racism. You know, I really... You know, the truth is, Nada, I really didn't understand racism until I was fucking Meghan Markle. <laughs> Then I understood what it meant to hate black people. Oh, oh, Harry. <laughs> you know, I really didn't understand racism until this knockout, you know, gorgeous 10 out of 10 fucking TV star started sucking my dick. That's when I realized, oh, you know what? There's this, you know what? I really don't like black chicks. <laughs> What a great lesson. What a, Actually, what a great way to learn. Can we all learn about racism by having sex with Meghan Markle? Is that possible, please? I mean, you know. Don't tell me Meghan's not into the 1800s role-playing shit. <laughs> That's how he learned about racism. 
You know, honey, when you fuck me like this and you put the rope around my neck, uh, do you realize that in the 1800s, the slave owners were putting ropes around and I did not know that, babe. <laughs> Minister Van Kimmy with the diamond. How would the queen instruct Harry that, Harry, Harry, I want you to make sure when you're having sex with the brown woman that you understand the systemic oppression that she's had to deal with. Well, yes, thank you, Nana. Nana, sh Nana, how many positions? No, oh, no, no, Harry. Don't worry about the positions, young lad. There you go. In and out, Harry. In and out. In and out. Thank you, Harry. Oh, Queenie. Queenie's a big fan. A mixed race woman. For him to learn about racism and the family's racist legacy. For many white people, their attempts to gain a deeper awareness. Oh, yeah, deeper, baby. I want that deep awareness. <laughs> An understanding of concepts such as white privilege and systemic racism were prompted by the increased visibility of police brutality. I guess white privilege when you have a black sex partner is you don't have to pay them afterwards, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just a joke. Just jokes. Don't be so serious, bro. Understanding concepts such as white privilege and systemic racism were prompted by the increased visibility of police brutality against black people this past summer. So now we're even tying in police brutality with the royal family, ladies and gentlemen. That's fucking good, isn't it? <laughs> By the way... You know what also points to the uh, inherent racism of Harry, a white man having sex with Meghan Markle, a mixed race woman, is all of the police brutality that's occurred in a different country over a different period of time. I mean, it ties directly into that. Hmm. Does it really? Particularly in the case of the George Floyd murder. However, up until the past few years, Many white people have only educated themselves about race in it. Just a little thing too, by the way. The article says, particularly in the case of the murder of George Floyd, isn't that kind of putting the cart before the horse? Because, you know, there is still a trial going on. Is it just me or is it normally the case when there's a trial going on, they won't just say, oh, no, he's a murderer. You know, don't they usually say alleged murder? because it, it's, it hasn't been determined yet via a court, you know, a, a jury of your peers. That's never happened, right? But that, that, doesn't, that doesn't apply here to the George Floyd case. No, 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 we just say it's murder. Oh, okay. I, I know there was a, uh, a settlement for wrongful death, but that's not really murder. You know, this, the, the legal people have this annoying annoying tendency to really place a lot of importance on certain words and how they're used. I know, it's very, it's very annoying. It's very inconvenient. It would be much better if we could just come out and call people murderers before they've been found guilty of murder. I know, I know. But we don't have to in this case. <laughs> Nikki Fruit Loops. Allegedly shields you, uh, shields you from everything I thought. I thought that too, but when I started in radio, uh, I was informed, actually, the rules don't really work that way. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? What if we could just put allegedly? And they're like, no, no, no. No, they, they, they know that. They know that trick. So, you know, you can't come out and say, such and such is a pedophile and a rapist. <laughs> allegedly. I mean, allegedly. Apparently, it doesn't work here. They'll say, well, no, you were allegedly 
saying allegedly. <laughs> you know, you weren't being serious when you said allegedly. So I was like, oh, okay. Fair enough. Maybe maybe they only told us that to, so we wouldn't try and push the boundary, though. That's also a possibility. However, up until the past few years, many white people have only educated themselves about race in a deep, meaningful way when they've had direct connection to somebody affected by racism, such as a partner or a child. I'm telling you. <laughs> the only way people are learning about racism now is by having sex with Meghan Markle. <laughs> Isn't it good? Sign me up. <laughs> research, research has shown that white people often enter interracial relationships quite naive to the realities of race and racism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine that. Imagine being surprised that somebody who has a relationship, like just say a white guy starts fucking a black chick, Imagine being surprised that the white guy doesn't put a high importance on race and racism. Isn't that amazing? No, 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 no. If you're going to get yourself a black chick to, you know, have sex with, you need to be obsessed about racism. Like, that's the way you should open it on a date, right? If you want to approach a black chick, the first thing you should start talking about is how oppressed she is. I mean, that'll make her want to have sex with you, right? You know, don't just be a normal person. Don't just, you know not turn race into the all-pervasive thing that it, these people want it to be. Don't be a normal person. Just go up and say, hey, how you going, you know? I saw you across the bar. Can I buy you a drink? Don't be like that. That's not good enough. No, no. If you want to get yourself a black girlfriend, you need to go up to her. And the first thing you need to say is, look, I know I think I can approach you because of my white male privilege, and I just want to apologize for the generations of oppression that you have suffered <laughs> and see how well you do with that. I'm sure she's going to take you out the back of the bar any minute now. I'm sure she's going to let you buy her that drink any second now if you open with that. Yes, women get moist when you treat them like a museum exhibit. Exactly. Communities and social circles are notoriously segregated in America. Add to this equation growing up in fairly white social circles that espouse colour blindness and are sheltered by white privilege. And it's not hard to believe that many white people enter into... Enter into inter... That's actually quite difficult to say on the fly. Many white people enter into interracial relationships assuming racism is practically a thing of the past. <laughs> do, you, do you see the mindlessness? Okay, it's like this, these people's brains have been turned into custard. <laughs> Listen again. It's not hard to believe that many white people enter into interracial relationships assuming racism is practically a thing of the past. What gave it away? The fact that they're having sex. <laughs> I mean, ladies and gentlemen, please, do not adjust your monitors. They are this dumb. You know, you know, research suggests that white people who, white men who have sex with black women don't really care about race. <laughs> what are we paying you for? What would you say you do here? Quote, my upbringing and the system I was brought up in and what I had been exposed to, I wasn't aware of racism to start with, Prince Harry told Oprah. But my God, it doesn't take very long to suddenly become aware of it. Because <laughs> they're just like us. 
Harry had never heard of racism. Right. Do you believe this? In my own research studying interracial couples all over the country on black, white, heterosexual couples, most white partners reported rarely talking about race growing up. Isn't it amazing? It's almost like the less you talk about race, the less you force children to talk about race and racism and how everybody hates them and how everybody's oppressed and how they're a Nazi and they have privilege. It's almost like the less time you spend focused on that, the less relevant it's going to be when they become adults. Isn't that strange? Isn't that a weird concept? Wow. How do we fix this, books? I know. We need to start talking more about race when they're children. That'll obviously fix it. I mean, this article is such a glorious self-own. That's how stupid these people really are. You know, they're not all crafty deceptive, intelligent manipulators and subversives. They're not. A lot of them are just fucking dumb people who write articles. In my own research, my own research, in my own research studying interracial couples all over the country on black, white, heterosexual couples, most white partners reported rarely talking about race growing up. Wow, what a fucking bombshell. The white guys who are having sex with black women weren't obsessed with racism as children. Can you imagine it? What a day that must have been when they made this fucking scientific discovery in the office with all of their research. As Tom, a 33-year-old doctoral student engaged to an Afro-Caribbean woman, shared, quote, race wasn't really talked about in my family, but there was a sentiment that, quote, there should be racial equality. Most people don't think that there should be. Most people. The problem is, what you determine to be racial equality as, you know, a blogger, a glorified blogger in the corporate press, often runs counter to what almost everybody else sees as racial equality. But let's not get pinned down. As these couples start to spend more time together and their worlds merge, the white partner may engage in conversations about race in the news, witness their partner experience racism, or observe their own parents teaching their partner differently than the white partners of their siblings. God, the world just must be a mind-numbing, soul-sucking, depressive fucking experience for these people. Huh? It, it, It must be just a constant stream of anxiety and depression and feelings of inadequacy how can you fucking stomach it how how does it feel to be you sir ultimately they begin to open their eyes to the realities of being a person of color in our world one of these moments no i just wanted to fuck up because she's cute (laughs) i don't know I don't know if my eyes are being open to the realities of being a person of colour in our world, but I have never seen a girl do that shit with her mouth like she does. <laughs> that's what started that's what started me thinking about racism. It's that shit she does with her tongue. <laughs> Ultimately, they begin to open their eyes to the realities of being a person of colour in our world. One of these moments, according to Prince Harry, again, we're referencing Prince Harry because he's just a common guy. He's just like one of us, guys. 
According to Prince Harry, when the conversations were initiated by his family members over, quote, concerns about the skin tone of his and Meghan's potential children and what that would look like, presumably to the public, more specifically, both Harry and Meghan said Harry's family concern was over how dark their son Archie would be. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I'll, I'll see, see you in hell. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. White people in interracial relationships understand racism better, sure, but at what cost to black partners? And you have the very, the very normal, very everyday, very working class, blue collar couple here of Megan and Harry, <laughs> whose problems are just like yours, I'm sure. Uh, one more thing on Megan Markle before we move on and put her to bed, metaphorically. Uh, I found this little tidbit the other day. Let's have a look. Meghan Markle's former friend from her Deal or No Deal days is speaking out following... Who knew that Meghan Markle was on Deal or No Deal? Press 1 in the chat if you knew. Press 2 in the chat if you didn't know. I didn't know. So that's a 2 from me. I had no idea. That's how she got her start. She was one of the briefcase girls on Deal or No Deal. I had no idea. Nikki Fruit Loops knew, Carrier Monkey didn't know. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of Deal or No Deal. Not particularly. Um, most people are saying too. So yeah, there you go. I had no idea. So her former friend her former friend. <laughs> Which is a great way, that's the media's way of saying somebody who hasn't spoken to Meagle for 20 years. Somebody, somebody who worked with Megan as one of 25 girls or however many it is who stand there in a pretty dress and hold a briefcase and don't do anything else. They hold a briefcase. Sometimes they are, they are made to open the briefcase once per show. All right. So these people who worked 20 years ago together to get, well, they didn't even work together. They were just working at the same place as one of, one of 25 chicks. Holding a briefcase and then opening an... Oh, is it 26? Thank you for the correction, you fucking autist. <laughs> Sorry, 26. Fucking hell. All right, 26, mate. <laughs> I knew somebody would be like, oh, actually. <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. So 26 girls. The way... Former friend is their way of saying they worked in the same place over 20 years ago doing the same thing, all right? So this is the expert on Meghan Markle. Markle's former friend from her Deal or No Deal days former is friend. speaking out following the bombshell speaking interview. Out. Claudia Jordan says she was struck by how miserable Meghan looked. That famous <laughs> Markle sparkle was gone. She looks sad. And that's not the same look in her eye that we saw before. You know, Meghan's eyes are sparkly and happy and, you know, she just has this light in her eyes and she definitely looks like that's not there right now. <laughs> scientific evidence, ladies and gentlemen. Megan, Megan Markle is actually really depressed right now. Here's a woman who used to work with her over 20 years ago discussing the sparkle in her eyes. <laughs> that sparkle sparkle that we all used to know is gone. Oh, it's, it's a tragedy. How awful. <laughs> where, do, where the fuck do they dig these people up, man? How much do they get? How much do you get paid to do a spot like this? Is it is it as low as something like, you know, a couple of hundred bucks? That's all I would pay. That's all I'd give her. 
<laughs> How much do they actually get to do these things? Meghan Markle's former friend former from friend. her Deal or No Deal days is speaking out following the bombshell interview. Claudia Jordan says she was struck by how miserable Meghan miserable. looked. That famous Markle sparkle was gone. <laughs> she looked sad. And that's not the same look in her eye that we saw before. You know, Meghan's eyes are sparkly and happy and... <laughs> Evil Eric in know, the chat. She's lost that Adderall glow. <laughs> this light in her eyes and she definitely looks... Like, that's not there right now. Yeah. On the show, which ran on NBC, Megan was fresh-faced briefcase model number 24. <laughs> fresh-faced briefcase model number 24. <laughs> model number 24. Who did you play on TV? I played briefcase model number 24. How many were there? Well, thank you, Nikki Fruit Loops, for giving us the right answer. 26. <laughs> and imagine, imagine. <laughs> wow. Imagine this. Can you imagine that somebody looks like more fresh and young 20 years ago than they do today? Can you believe that? Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine that the, you know, what? 18 or 19 or 20 year old Megan Markle, however she was on on Deal or No Deal, can you imagine that she seems more live than the 40 year old Megan Markle we see today? Can you believe that? Wow, so weird. You know, most 40 year olds are more spry than their 20 year old versions, aren't they? Obviously. I mean, I'm an Adonis compared to 20 year old me, obviously. All the skin's nice and tight and everything. Right? <laughs> You know, I remember working with Megan uh, 20 years ago, and I just noticed when I was watching that interview of her and her husband, who happens to be a fucking prince, literally a prince, we was kings and shit. I, I was watching that interview, and I noticed, you know, that ain't the Megan I know from 20 years ago that used to stand there, not say anything, and hold a briefcase. She was number 24. Did you know that? Number 24. I mean, it's just ain't the same Megan. It's different. Where's that Markle Sparkle we used to know and love? Fucking give me a break. <laughs> she was 25 years old. 25. She was 25 years old. Okay. Claudia was briefcase model number one. Ah. Because, like me. See, Claudia. <laughs> Claudia was briefcase model number one. Do you think? Press one in the chat if you agree. Press two in the chat if you disagree. Do you think that deep down, the motivation for Claudia doing this interview is not, you know, concern for her former friend who's lost that Markle sparkle? Do you think the motivation for Claudia doing this interview is because she was briefcase model number one, she believes she's the one who should be the princess? Come on, come on. One if you agree, two if you don't. Seen a lot of ones in the chat. <laughs> that should be me. I should be having interracial sex with the prince, not her. Briefcase 24? What a hag. 
I was briefcase number one. I'm supposed to be the queen. I'm supposed to be doing the 1800s role-playing in the bedroom with the prince. Not her, not Megan. I'll get her back. Hello, Inside Edition. I have the hot scoop on Megan Markle. Hmm, yeah. Turns out I used to work with her 20 years ago and I was watching that interview and she just looks really depressed. The light has gone from her eyes. That Margle sparkle is gone. She looks really sad. <laughs> I, I bet she hates her life now. <laughs> what a fucking bitch. <laughs> it should be me up there. Megan, Claudia is biracial. They bonded. Yeah. She says oh, it was... Oh, they, they bonded over their biracialness. Hey, are you half black? Yeah, I'm half black too. We'll be best friends. We've often remarked that the media treats people like children. This, we're now getting to the level where it's, it's beyond absurd. There's, there's only one option left for the media now, and that's to stick a pacifier, literally a pacifier in everybody's mouth. That's the only step they've got left. Well, she's a friend of Meghan Markle because they were both biracial, so they bonded. Oh, yeah, the, the half-black sisterhood of deal or no deal, huh? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. <laughs> Upsetting to hear claims about the royal family yeah. and little Archie's skin little color. Little Archie. He's Concerns very, and, and by the way, little Archie, uh, he's an Englishman, that's for sure. Look at that. Little Archie, very white. Very white, baby. He's a cute fucking kid, but he's going to go bald by the time he's 35 because dad's a ginger. So unfortunately, he misses out there. He gets all of the biracial oppression and none of the hair. <laughs> none of the thick, lustrous hair that should be associated with being the progeny of a half-black prince fucker. Unfortunately for little Archie. But he is a gorgeous little kid. Look at that. Skin color. Concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when yeah. he's born. Yeah. What? <laughs> I never saw that. I never because <laughs> I didn't. I, there was no way in on fucking in hell that I was going to watch this interview. Megan and Oprah sitting down having a chat about right. No way in hell. I wouldn't. I don't hate myself that much. But I kind of wish I had now because that was very funny. The foe at the pause, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what? <laughs> conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. Uh. What? <laughs> That's why Oprah gets the big bucks. <laughs> well done, Oprah. Well done. Oprah's good at creating viral movements. Uh, viral movements. Viral moments. I was halfway between mo moments and movements then for some reason. On. I can't say that I was shocked to hear about the racism allegations. No, of because course not. Growing up black myself, that's something that- There it is! Because <laughs> I'm just like her. <laughs> it's all about you, isn't it, Claudia? I wasn't shocked, actually, you know, I wasn't shocked to hear about the accusations of racism because being half black myself, uh, 
She thinks that she deserves to be a princess, this one. To hear about the racism allegations because uh. growing up black myself, that's yeah. something that we deal with all the time. We, yep. Whether you're a black, biracial, mm -hmm. uh, a quarter, whatever it is, it seems like there's some people that will choose to have a problem with any amount of color in the bloodline. Really? And I just say yeah. that. What a, what a surprising idea that this royal family would have uh, some kind of elitism. I mean, you know, we deal with it every day. We deal with the royal family's elitism every day. I know you Americans, you rebellious Americans with your rebellious nature. Uh, you're no longer part of the royal, the royal connection. You're no longer part of the kingdom. But let me tell you, as a servant to the crown, which is what it says on my fucking passport, believe it or not, as a servant to the crown, uh, I... <laughs> I can tell you that the royal family's insistence on racial purity has always been a factor in my life, you know. Uh, I remember in high school, I was chasing a girl who was Sri Lankan. Now, when I say Sri Lanka, you think of like India and stuff and you're going to think, oh my God, she's shitting in the street and you know, <laughs> she's sitting in the street and eating horrible food and she lives in a mud hut and stuff. This chick was... <laughs> She was a fucking bombshell, a knockout. Because, like, Indians, people from the subcontinent, Indians, Pakistanis, Sri Lankans, right? And Sri Lankans aren't really Indians. You know, most of the Sri Lankans that live here are, like, really rich doctors and shit, right? So she was obviously some daughter of somebody who was doing well. This girl was a knockout. And, you know, I remember I was chasing this chick, and I'm like, hey, you know, hang out with And just when I thought things were about to progress to, like, the next step, and we were going to get into some 1800s role-playing, the fucking queen called me. The queen called up. The boogie, are you, are you sure you want to be inserting your white penis into this brown woman? Is this something that you definitely want to do? I mean, think of your racial purity. I mean, we've all... So, you know, we've all had to deal with it. We've all had to deal with the, the toxic racism of the royal family. Foggy in a chat. Sri Lankans look way more black than Indians. Yeah, oh, she was really dark, but she was an absolute stunner. Uh, people from that part of the world, Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan and stuff, I find, this is going to sound incredibly racist, but who cares? I mean, this, this is the topic of the day, right? I find that um, girls from that part of the world, they're either, they're either eight and up or two and below. <laughs> like there's no, there's no middle. So they're either like absolute drop-dead gorgeous knockouts or they're peasant gutter trash. <laughs> There's no in-between. There's no average-looking Indian girls. They're either like gorgeous or no thank you, you know? <laughs> so she was one of the upper ones. Didn't end up... Nothing ended up happening. Nothing ended up happening. The moral to the story is couldn't get her. I was too white. <laughs> she went with an Indian boy instead. She ended up getting with an Indian guy instead. I missed out because I was too white. Wasn't interested. Believe it or not, the racism. Maybe I should start my own blog, huh? Why, why do brown women keep turning me down? Is it because I'm white? <laughs> Is it because they hate me because I'm white? Why aren't they attracted to me? I guess there's racism in the dating game after all. Which is, of course, would be a lie because, of course, they'd, they'd want to get with me because I have more money than a minimum wage worker. Not much more, but just enough. <laughs> just enough to buy them a pair of shoes once a month, maybe. If they're lucky. 
All right. Let's leave it there, shall we? For the first half of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Now, when we return, we are going to get into some chaz. We're going to take a quick five-minute break. When we return, we are doing some chaz. I want to check out the new autonomous zone. But this is a this is a very strange development that's taken place. That's something that I've noticed. Because remember on Monday I said, look, I'm going to collect a few more stories about the Chaz, about the CHOP, about the Autonomous Zone in Minneapolis. There'll be more coming out. And then we'll we'll add that to the pile that I have ready for you here on Wednesday. But I've, I've been looking around the last couple of days. It seems like these media outlets are less likely to report on the current Chaz. And I thought, why would that be the case? Why would that be the case? I mean... I know that there's a Chaz. I know that there's a Chaz in Minneapolis. There's another one in Austin, Texas, believe it or not. There's one in Austin, Texas. There's one in Minneapolis. There's Chazes popping up all over the place, but it seems the strangest things, they're not reporting it. I wonder what's changed. Because remember last year, we were reporting on Chazes nonstop. But this year, I could, you know, now Joe Biden is the president. I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. It's a completely different thing. It's just a coincidence. A happy, happy coincidence. So when we return after this quick five-minute break, ladies and gentlemen, I'll show you the shit on Chaz that I have, plus some other stuff. We'll see how we go. I've got plenty loaded up for Friday anyway. See, Let's see how far we get on this Wednesday night edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Stick around. comedy songs organic handmade with painstaking care put into every note well look no further than irrational times using only the finest instruments to create an experience that your ears will thank you for later irrational times attempts to elevate the whimsy to a desirable level new songs and sketches every week so check it out Idiot boogie bumper. Idiot boogie bumper. Idiot boogie. Really giving that one a workout. Come on. <laughs> Dlive.tv slash JJ Stone. And we love JJ here on the show. 
world is a terrible place, full of terrible people doing terrible things. Thankfully, there's a weekly live stream that doesn't sugarcoat it for you. Join Major Tom Saturdays at 10 p.m. for the Big Empty. That's Major underscore Tom on DLive. Make sure to use zeros for O's because your life really is that hard. Patriots, this is your favorite Southerner, Doc Martin. Just wanted to remind you to put on your calendars to join me and your favorite near-to-wheel Yankee, Bill D'Angelo, on Saturday nights, beginning with Promises Kept at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by the Speakeasy with all of your favorite Patriots. You never know what we might cuss and discuss. That's right, Doc Martin. This is everybody's favorite Yankee, Phil D'Angelo speaking. And on Saturday night, we could have Kimmy, wise censored, affectionately known as Electrolux, the original grandma, UK Neil, Rusty, and his famous sound test show, Coffee Talk with Sandra, Earth Citizen, Stefan, the infamous Grandma Sears, Mac Daddy may even make a show up, or virtually anyone else in the world for some irrelevant fun. Yankee, you need some irreverent fun. So be sure to join us on Twitch, Periscope, DLive, or YouTube. That's right, Doc. Follow us at Winning TV on all of those channels. So be sure and put it on your calendar. We'll be looking for you. We'll leave the porch light on. I still think it's irrelevant fun. Well, why are you fumbling for coins when you have a heavy bag? <laughs> There's a place that we can go to watch old things. All the warm, fuzzy member berries it brings. It's a special little spot tucked away on D-Live. Enjoy the joy of Pessie. Campy old movies and old cartoons. We hope to see you over there very soon. It's our special little spot tucked away on D-Live. Enjoy the joy of Pessie. When we were kids and there wasn't any school We'd sit and watch all the best cartoons Eating cereal until it was noon We never thought that 30 years later It'd still be cool Saturday night and cheesy movies The ones that used to show us boobies It's our special little spot tucked away on D-Live Enjoy the joy of Pessy. Enjoy the joy of Pessy. Enjoy the joy of Pessy. This Justin, the global officials that can help all, also known as Got You, have now banned all boogieing and boogie-related movements worldwide. Public safety is the main concern, they say. And people are reminded that boogieing is contagious. Anyone caught boogieing will be dealt with in the harshest terms police have reported. More right around this world can get you down. There's just one thing you can do. You gotta get back up and shake it all around. No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how to boogie. Come on, everybody boogie bumper tonight. Coming back. Second half of the show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for joining us. Wednesday night edition, Daily Boogie Podcast. If you'd like to become a full-time uh, supporter, Patreon, etc., etc., etc. Yada 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 yada. Thank you for joining us. All right, let's get right back into it, shall we? The new Chaz. Now, I'm saying this not 
like with an ounce of sarcasm whatsoever. I know I can be pretty sarcastic from time to time. That's because I've given up hope on the world and think that we're all doomed, so I don't really care anymore. But in saying that, this is with no sarcasm whatsoever. One of the best things about 2020, in my opinion, was the Chads. I loved it. We did whole episodes on the Chads. We had a lot of fun exploring the Chaz, learning about the Chaz, the people in the Chaz. I mean, the drum circles, the pizza farms. It was fucking amazing, wasn't it? So I was a big fan of Chaz, and I want to see more Chaz. I want to see people standing up for their rights and shit like that, whatever. Whatever it is. Had a lot of fun covering it. (laughs) So, you know, to steal a line from PJ Dubs. Imagine my shock. When here in 2021, ladies and gentlemen, we have Chaz, but nobody wants to fucking talk about it. Well, here on this show, we are going to talk about it. We're going to celebrate the Chaz. We believe in you guys. You keep doing what you do. Thank you for joining us. Wednesday night edition, Daily Boogie podcast. This was sent through by Gary Vance. Gary Vance, our favorite boomer here on the show, incidentally. If you, if you don't know who Gary Vance, if you don't know who Gary Vance is, you can get him on, I think he's streaming on DLive. He lives in Minneapolis. Have a can of can of soda, soda on, on the couch. Yeah. And there are businesses there. They're struggling. Sometimes people get arrested for not wearing a face mask. That's Gary. Right. He's got the fucking best radio voice on the internet, in the world. So he's streaming somewhere. I don't know where, though. He, he's he's constantly getting kicked off different platforms. He doesn't, he's not a bad dude. He's not doing anything spicy or anything, but he's always getting his account suspended one place or another. He's always trying new things, which is why I like Gary as well. Every now and then I'll get a DM and he's like, have you seen this site? And I'm like, I didn't even know it fucking existed, man. And he's like, yeah, I've been streaming there for a while. <laughs> so, you know. so he does good. But... He tagged me in this story, and apparently he lives near this place. He lives near this new Chaz. He's on Periscope, is he? Well, that won't last long. Periscope wrapping up at the end of March. If you're one of the few people who still watches this show on Periscope, then you are, you know, be forewarned. In, what, 10 days or so, Periscope's wrapping up. It's not going to be on Periscope anymore. That's not me. So, you know, head on to DLive or Trovo or even, even, even go to YouTube if you want. Even go to even subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can become subscriber number eight hundred and whatever, and join the queue that's been waiting there in the eight hundreds for about two years. <laughs> so you can do that. So he sent me this um, article and said, "I live near near this place. Residents of Minneapolis no go zone speak out. Yes, I love a bit of speaking out." A Minneapolis resident and her fiancé are now grappling with the fact that they own and live in a house in the middle of an autonomous zone with no end in sight. I've said that before on the show too, when we were doing the first Chaz. Where was the first one again? God, isn't it funny how quickly we forget? Um, shit, where was the first Chaz? Uh, Was it Portland? Uh, It was Portland, wasn't it? So the first Chaz was in Portland, remember, and... I remember saying on the show when we were watching this, when we were getting this guided tour of the chop in Portland and like just these like very nice, like these are some very nice looking little suburban houses. I love the American style of suburbia, like the way you guys do it. It looks very different to what we have here in in suburbs. 
But these little quaint little houses, they always make me think of like early 1990s family-friendly American films, you know, just a nice a nice white family at Christmas. <laughs> that's what that's what this looks like to me. It looks like white white suburban family in Christmas story number 5046. Where nothing's really offensive, there are no real surprises. You know, I want my mummy back for Christmas and then a, there's an adventure to go across the country to find mummy, but then you get separated and, oh, my God, is mummy going to be home? And then mummy shows up on Christmas morning. You know, one of those crappy little stories that everybody likes, little hallmark stories. That's what this looks like to me. So I rem- remember watching the footage, and Portland actually seems like a really nice area. Oregon seems like a really nice fucking state. Like, that seems like the kind of place I could live quite happily. It looks a lot like Tasmania to me where the, the, the climate is rather cold, lots of green. I love shit like that. I'd much, Even though I'm an Australian, I really don't like the beach that much. I'd much rather live in like a nice green, you know, grassland with farms around and shit. That's more my style. I don't like the beach. I mean, I like the beach for some things. You know, if you're going to drink beer and have a barbecue, the beach is fucking amazing. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not one of these people who needs to live near the beach. A lot of Australians feel an urge to live near water. It's true. 95% of the population of Australia lives within a few miles of the coast. Like all the way around the outside is where people live. Nobody lives in the middle. So Australians do have this like born in tendency that want to be near a beach. They have to be near a beach. All of our housing prices are based on how close to the beach you are. Like all of the most expensive places are on the beach, on the coast. So that's just a thing. But it's never been my style. But I remember watching this and looking at these, you know, quaint little houses that look quite nice, like rather not not over the top good, but at least pleasant. And I remember watching it and thinking to myself, fuck, imagine being a homeowner in this shit, in this situation. You've got like, you've got people who either are homeless or just look homeless, who are like just taking a shit in your front lawn, pissing, pissing in the street, right? Drinking, drinking whiskey bottles and just fucking smashing them on the street, out the front of your house, all night, people are making noise and stuff. There was there were shootings in the old Chaz as well, so you've got shootings and then people refusing to let the fucking uh, ambulance and the paramedics in and shit. All of this fucking chaos and shit. I remember saying at the time when we watched it, if that was me, I would just walk in and I'd say to my wife, "Get the dogs, we're fucking out of here." Like the first day, there were you know people. You want to defend your house, defend your property and stuff. Fair enough. But in this kind of scenario where there's potentially, you know, a a thousand people who are just giving the finger to establish rules and private property, like they believe in abolishing private property. What makes you think that they're going to respect your house, you know? So I would just say to my wife, like, get the fucking girls, get the dogs, and we're jumping in. Grab whatever you can in the next half an hour. Grab my gun from the safe. And let's fucking roll. Let's jet. Let's get out of here, because we are not staying here. You'd have to. You'd have to just abandon it, because otherwise you'd spend the next fucking six months, or however long it takes these gutless, ballless politicians and police to deal with this shit. You'd be. You'd be sitting in your home for the next six months, or however long it takes. Just you wouldn't get any sleep. You know what I mean? Every single night, every time a beer bottle is smashed, every time there's a loud bang, every time there's some fucking vagrant like i said shitting on your front lawn and just sleeping on your doorstep 
with a fucking drum circle scheduled for the next morning after you tend to the pizza farm, you wouldn't be able to relax and be like, nah, fucking get out of here. And if they smash up the home and they go in there and they disrupt shit, you know, I've always been a, a minimalist anyway. You know, I'm confident if I have to, I can get whatever I need in the car and everything else, although it would suck because I have, um, you know, things that I'm personally attached to. Like in the studio right now, I'm looking like directly on my left. I can just tap it here. That's the bag that contains my double bass, right? And I, I, I haven't even played the double bass for like five years. It just sits here in the room in the studio. So it would suck leaving my double bass behind, of course. But, you know, if you put a double bass in a car, you pretty much can't put anything else in a car. It's, they're so big, right? You can't fit anything, so I'd have to leave it here. But, you know, if, if that kind of a situation broke out here, that's exactly the kind of shit that I'd have to say goodbye to. Oh, okay, goodbye. You know, I'd be reading an article in the local news a week later when I'm staying at a friend's place, you know, two hours from here. And it would be, you know, homeless vagrant in Chaz breaks into house and uses double base for firewood, right? And they'll be like, well, there goes my shit. Because fuck living here in this place with these people. Yep, these people. And you know what I mean by these people? I'm talking about these, you know, pretentious fucking upper middle class white kids. I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But all of the spokesmen that come out, we have covered at least a dozen kind, like Chaz kind of scenarios. Remember that house that was getting knocked down, right? And it like it turned out like there was a whole bunch of fucking upper middle class, fucking shitty degenerate white kids that were squatting there. And they were talking, oh, this is about racial justice and shit. Fuck off. This is about you having a party. It's, uh, that's that's what it is. You and your your teenage political activism, and the the opportunity to go to a party house for a week and just get blind drunk and stoned and fucking fuck your brains out and who cares? I mean, good luck to you. But these journalists are, fo are so fucking stupid. They can't tell the dip. They think that you know I'm on your side, but they're not on your side. Which brings me to this item, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have a look at this. Reporter confronted and then threatened outside George Floyd Autonomous Zone in Minneapolis. Let's have a look. The trial comes at a time when much of Minneapolis is on edge after a summer of unrest, and one part of the city has been significantly transformed. This has been called George Floyd's... Min is, Minneapolis is Minnesota, right? Is it Minnesota? Square. I'm going to get a can of soda and sit on the lounge, sit on the couch with my can of soda. A memorial site in South Minneapolis. It was created at the corner where Floyd died. Commun Why is the George Floyd angel naked? Ew. Gross. And why is he blue? Why is he naked and blue with like knee-high white stripper cowboy boots on. It's weird. You know, like, just say a situation occurs 
you know, touch wood. It never, hopefully it never does. But let's just say a situation. I often think about this when I'm driving and stuff. I often think about like the chances that somebody coming in the opposite direction is just like smashed out of their head or on like narcotics or something and they just cross over the road and smash into me head on and I die. <laughs> but I don't think about like the act of that happening. I think about like just any second, any second it could be gone. You know, you might have a plan. You might be driving home from the store with the shit that you're going to cook for dinner that night. That might be what you're thinking about. And in that moment, it can all be over. And that happens for a lot of people. Not not many people get the the comfort of knowing that, you know, knowing that it's coming, right? You know, when you get to that last little bit of life, I saw my grandmother pass away, what? Shit's got to be like over 10 years ago now, about 10 years ago. And she was hard as fucking nails. German, she uh, Berliner, she lived through two world wars. She was, uh, she owned a block of flats in Berlin before World War II. And after World War II, the communists, when they took that part of Berlin, just fucking uh, took her property over and filled it up with Russian soldiers and kicked her um, out on the street with my infant mother at the time kicked them out on the street she was like three years old or something they escaped um in the middle of the night they had to sneak past you know communist soldiers with fucking machine guns to get out of there right and they eventually came to australia i forget the fucking point of that story <laughs> forget why i forget why i'm bringing it up now <laughs> I, don't know. I haven't had much sleep Help me. Remind me why I was bringing up that story. Gypsy of Diamonds with the diamond. Vanda just steals the diamond, Gypsy. George has some serious cake. Serious cake. So uh, can you remind me what were we talking about before I went into that little diatribe, that little personal tale? Because the problem is if you tell a personal story as like an offshoot, because now all I'm doing is like remembering old stories and shit and my brain is fucking... I need to get more sleep before I do this show. Why is the angel blue? Was that what we were... Now I can't even figure out why. <laughs> Seeing death go... Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So... Well, no, we did that. I did that because, you know, we'll be driving. You don't often get... The, that's right. You don't... Thank you. You don't often get the comfort of seeing that it's coming, right? So my grandmother, she knew she was dying. I, the last conversation I had with her... I asked her, is she afraid of like dying and stuff? And she said, no, of course I've known, I've, I've known I've been dying for a long time. Young one, you know, like I, I've known this has been coming. <laughs> you know, she was that kind of a person. She was like, of course not. Of course not. So a lot of people, like they don't get that opportunity to make peace with it. A lot of people are just snapped up. So I often think, you know, like I said, when I'm driving or whatever, what if, you know, a truck just happens to come through this intersection right now and just plows into me and then it's all over. And I was going to go home and drink beer and watch football. That would be it. And end of life, it's over, right? So it happens. 
I don't. I still don't know why the angel is blue, though. In South Minneapolis, it was created at the corner where Floyd died. Community members set up a makeshift barricade to block traffic. The city eventually replaced that with concrete barriers. And while they have pledged to reopen the intersection following the trial, now some activists have taken over that square, declaring it an autonomous zone. It's also been a hotbed for violent crime in recent months, certainly in recent days, and activists are not letting police inside. Earlier this week, our News Nation... I mean, why would you stay there? Why would you stay there? You can see it coming. You can see the shit that's on the way. Why the fuck would you stay there? Listen to it. That's the funny part about the Chaz too. Like violent crime goes through the roof. Remember that I think it was, again, it was, was it a, there was a Chicago Chaz at some point, wasn't there? No, maybe it was still Portland. Cause I remember watching the police chief talking about, well, we're going to go, we're going to send in some people to negotiate. It's like negotiate. <laughs> okay. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. But, you know, they were the rapes had gone up. They couldn't respond to violent crimes and shit. <laughs> because we're all about justice. And then threatened by two people inside the zone. It's a video that has since gone viral. Take a look. Okay, let's have a look. This area behind me uh, is the George Floyd Memorial. <laughs> this is where George Floyd was killed back in May. Take a look. Um, these barricades have been set up by, uh, by <laughs> protesters and... <laughs> Barricades. <laughs> Look at the security measures going on here. Look at this barricade. This is this clip is so fucking beautiful on so many levels, because because this reporter is doing the I'm on your side routine. <laughs> Look at if you if you're calling this a barricade, you are 100. I'm sorry, you are 100. percent Biased and 100% stupid. That's 200% boogie. I know. That's how biased and stupid they are. Look at this. So the quote-unquote barricade that's been set up here, as a couple of, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see, a couple of uh, heavies, we'll call them heavies, a, a, a rather portly woman and, you know, a guy who's acting tough. Both of them are pearl white, by the way. White. White as pure driven fucking snow. Uh, they're approaching. They've got black hoodies, black pants, black uh, beanies, and black masks over their face, okay? okay? So they're approaching this reporter who's doing that. Well, they've put up a barricade here. Now, let me de- describe the barricade for you. The barricade looks like... It looks like an enlarged version of a cheap shower shelving system. You know, the, it looks like it looks like something you hang your clothes on when you live in a in a cheap apartment, <laughs> but in like a in a, in like a triangle shape, maybe about I'm going to say about seven feet, and it's laying on its side. It it if a car drove into it at two miles an hour, this thing would ricochet into the nearest front lawn. There's no weight to it. It's it's flimsy thin wire, and there's a steel thing behind it, which kind of looks like half of one of the barricades that were thrown on the beach in Normandy, but only half of one, and it's purple. So this is not a barricade. This is just garbage left on the street. <laughs> this is just trash. This is the shit that people leave on their front on their front lawn when it's council pickup day, you know? 
you know, twice a year the council. Maybe it's the same for you. I'm not sure, but twice a year here the can the 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 council. That was oh, that was. <laughs> every now and then, my really like my really Westy Aussie accent slips out. I used to get slapped across the hands and the back of the head if I if I sounded too Westy, if I sounded too Australian, because I was raised by two Germans, and they'd be like, "Speak proper English," you know. Say, so, yeah, mate. If I was talking like this, I'd get a slap. <sighs> Stop talking like a peasant. <laughs> Stop talking like a fucking peasant, mate. So, I mean, this, this barricade is fucking nothing. It's garbage left on the street. And twice a year we have council pickup. So the council will, you know, write you a letter and send it in the mail and stuff. And I'll say, okay, on this day, whatever, whatever shit you've got in your house, like whatever shit you don't want, your garbage stuff, wander it out to the front and then put it on the front curb and then we'll send you know, the binman around, we'll send the garbo around to collect it in the morning. So that's a, that's a service you get twice a year. You can call up and get another one as well. You're entitled to like four a year or something, but there's like a big day. And then you get these scavengers who go around the suburb because I see them because I work nights. So you see them, the scavengers go around, they get their trailer and their van and their pickup truck and they go around and sort through everyone's garbage looking for shit, which most of it I imagine ends up on eBay. Right, or some fucking trading post kind of website. They'll go around. I used to know a guy who worked in removals. And because I was working removals at the same time, obviously I was working with this guy. The scam that this guy had running, and this is nearly 20 years ago. This is going to be like 15 years ago or thereabouts. The scam that this guy had running, because most of our clients were moving overseas. So what he would say to them is when we're packing up their house and like moving boxes and furniture out and shit, he would say to them, what are you going to do with the mattress? And they go, huh? And he'd say, well, what are you doing with the mattress? And they said, oh, we, we, we don't know. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's going to cost you like 350, 400 bucks to take that mattress into another country, right? Like it's hardly worth it. And they'll go, yeah, you're right. I, I didn't even think about the mattress. You're right. He says, he says to him, look, I'll buy it off you for 50 bucks. And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> so he would load up the mattress in the truck, you know, take the stuff to wherever it's got to go, deliver it. And then he would take the mattress back to his place and he would like give it a deep clean. <laughs> he he was running his own side mattress business. He was selling mattresses to people. He would put it in a nice like clear packaging, right? <laughs> and say, near new mattress. <laughs> and he would sell it for like 200 bucks. <laughs> so he had his own fucking side business. He had a garage full of mattresses. <laughs> But anyway, long story short, this looks like the barricade which is set up out the front of this Chaz looks like, I'm sorry, the garbage that you would leave on, on the curb for the council to come and collect in the morning. Supporters of the movement, uh, they don't allow anyone in, not even the police. It's called an autonomous. <laughs> CK, uh, CK Benzoda in the chat. Yep, my German family never spoke German except in whispers, and you spoke proper English or wallop. Fucking hell, man. There you go. See, I, I don't even speak German. I can understand a little bit when somebody's insulting. Well, not insulting. When somebody's angry at me, <laughs> you know, because when, when they got angry at me when I was a kid, some German words would come out. But they never spoke German at home. And I, I asked my mum one day, I said, why didn't, you, why didn't you get me to speak German when we were growing up? She said, because I want you to be an Australian. You're an Australian kid. You're not a German kid. You should be speaking Australian. You should be speaking English. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, if you if you are speaking English, it must be proper English, and I don't want you sounding like a Westy peasant. <laughs> and you're gonna be in a bad situation here in a second. Oh, I thought if we were on this side of the barricade, you're gonna be in a bad situation in a second. Oh, hello. <laughs> so our reporter friend, we're on. I'm on your side. Our reporter friend has been approached by these two Antifa fucks. <laughs> well, I don't even know if I, d- I doubt they even are Antifa. They're probably black block LARPing. Um, he gets approached by these people and they've threatened, they directly threaten him. Which is beautiful because this is again another media I'm on your side moment, right? Oh, we're down here at the Chaz. We're down here at the Chaz in Minneapolis where a lot of concerned citizens are fighting for justice for George Floyd. Oh, and we've got a couple of them coming over to me right now. Hello, sir. Uh, when you were setting up the Chaz, are you really concerned about justice for George Floyd? And he comes over and goes, yeah, bro, you're going to have to turn that camera off and fuck off or I'm going to fuck you up, man. Oh. Oh. But you you understand we're on your side? We're, we're here. We, uh, could, would, you, would you answer a couple of questions? No, man. You really want to just back up from the barricade. Get the fuck out of here, okay? Okay, bro. Fuck yeah, bro. Fuck it. Isn't it wonderful? I love, I love when reality comes hurtling into people's lives when they least expect it. You know what I mean? For years and years and years, he would have had this idea that, you know, I'm with the protesters. I'm one of them. We're together in this. And then to just be confronted. It's like somebody thinking that they're part of a social group and then not getting invited to the party. And go, why didn't you invite me to the party? And they go, what, you actually think you're one of us? <laughs> why would we invite you? You actually think you're one of ours? Fuck, bro. No, we just kept you around because you would drive us home from the bar. Because you never drink because you're a pussy. <laughs> you know? Investors <laughs> and supporters of the movement. Here we go. Here we go. So he's getting approached. Look at how tough they are, too, marching up. This girl and this guy, they make it, let's be fair here, in Antifa terms, they make a cute couple. Very cute couple. She's fat, lesbianic, and obviously with a, a strong uh, anger disposition, and he gets confidence from this. That's how pathetic he is. Let's carry on. Uh, they don't allow anyone in, not even the police. It's called an autonomous zone. Uh, and Oh, I thought if we were on this side, we're gonna ask you to leave. <laughs> I mean, it's an obvious point, but it's barely worth mentioning. If there were a few American flags in there and, you know, people with like Molon Labe flags and shit, if that was if that was the scenario here, this would not be the presentation. The, w- the presentation would not be, oh, look, these activists are declaring a police-free zone. They, the media would be calling it a military compound. Just by adding that, just add, let's say in this main street, some people climb the fucking poles and put up American flags and, you know, don't tread on me flags, right? Two or three of each. Then the whole the whole presentation would change and it would be all of a sudden, this is a military compound. This is an insurrection by right-wing extremists who are trying to claim, um, you know, 
trying to secede from the United States. This is anti-democratic. This is dangerous. This is white supremacy. That would be the story. But in this scenario, behind their fucking barricade, which looks like common street trash, the two people who look like common street trash are just directly threatening. No, you need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> and the media, oh, I'm so sorry. I hope I didn't hurt the justice movement. Right? It's pathetic. It's pathetic. You in the corporate media, you people are pathetic. Transparently so. The dimmest of wits can see how pathetic you are in these moments. The groveling, the apologizing. I'm on your side. The guy, this kid says to this reporter, you're going to be in a bad situation any second. <laughs> and they're still reporting it. They're still reporting it as, you know, these justice activists are, are searching. They're fighting for racial equality. They, they still do it. How does that dick taste, mate? Fuck. Have you no shame? <laughs> These kids are openly pissing in your face. These kids are openly telling you if you don't leave, you're gonna they're gonna fuck you up. The lesbian and the fuck it and this dude. This fucking dude. Are telling you to your face, hey, look, if you don't get out of here, you're gonna be in a bad situation. Okay? Who the fuck are you, mate? <laughs> Alright, go on then. <laughs> fucking move me <laughs> alright you know not even try to be tough but you'd like your chances against this pair wouldn't you wouldn't you come on <laughs> alright have a crack see how we go like hit me then I, I mean I'm literally live for the local news go on <laughs> you, mu you must be a real fucking clever one you <laughs> Why don't you tell us your name and address too, mate, while you're at it? Fuck it, what a halfwit. But because it, they because they're fighting for racial justice and all of the rest of it, eh, well, you know, it's fair. I guess they're a little bit skeptical of media and and you know the police here in this part of town. I mean, and what a lovely part of town it looks like too, doesn't it? It looks like it, it look. I'm gonna be honest. It looks like a fucking dystopian nightmare. It looks as though somebody's filming... It looks like a movie set where the movie is set in, like, 2045 after the fall of society and everyone's doing heroin. That's what the fucking place looks like. Imagine being delusional enough to think that people want to go there who aren't trash. Oh, no, we're all the good people. Really? Why are you living like a hobo, then? <laughs> Why are you living such a squalid urine-soaked existence then. Look at this fucking shithole you've created. We need to defend the Chaz with our lives. God bless the Chaz. And our barricade system, which is... <laughs> which is, I mean, it's, it's going to keep everybody out, the barricades. You don't need a barricade in this scenario. You just need to show them pictures of the place and nobody will go in. We're going to yeah. be in a bad situation here in a second. We're going to ask you to leave. You're going to be in a bad situation in a second. What do you mean by bad situation? You're going to be called out for what you are. You need to get out of here. Please go. 
You don't know what you, know what you are. You need to get in your car and go. I don't give a f who you are. You've been called out for who you are. You need to get in your car and go. I mean, if you didn't hear that, I'm going to play it one more time. This this is worth repeating here, because this this is the this is the kind of person you're dealing with, all right? A, a, another fine example of you know what we say here on the show: don't bother have, having arguments on Twitter. On Twitter, God, what's wrong with me? Don't bother having arguments on Twitter. Don't bother for reasons like this. Have a look. You know what you are. You need to get in your car and go. Let's go back a little further. Listen again. You're going to be in a bad situation in a second. What do you mean by Because you've been called out for what you are and you need to get out of here. Please go. You know, what, you know what you are. You need to get in your car and go. I don't give a who you are. So the guy says, you're going to be in a bad situation here if you don't go. And the guy's like, what? And he goes, you're being called out for who you are. We know who you are. You're being called out for who you are. So you need to get in your car and fucking go. And the guy says, well, I'm the media. And the kid says, I don't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> ah, okay. So you're being called out for who you are. You need to leave because of who you are. You tell them who you are and they say, I don't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> I why would you ever try to have a conversation with somebody this dense? Logic is... Logic... Words don't mean anything to these people. They use them and they listen to them, but they don't actually mean anything. You're being called out for who you are. Who am I? Who gives a fuck who you are? Um, okay. Why am I being called out then if you don't give a fuck who I am? You see? Because these people are very dumb. Okay, and off he trots. Off he goes. Brian Enton joins us tonight. <laughs> Is this the guy? Remember, it wasn't all that long ago where we would put certain reporters and journalists up on pedestals for their bravery, for example, like... One of my favorite stories, I forget the guy's name, but he was a war reporter and he was in Iraq, I think during the first Gulf War. Yeah, it was It was during the first Gulf War and he was famous. I wish I could remember his name, but he was famous for going to war zones and getting footage and stuff. And, you know, probably poetically, I guess, he got shot. You know, unfortunately, yes, but also poetically. You know, poems can be sad too, just so you know. Because you might be one of these fucking morons. <laughs> you might be one of these chaz idiots watching right now, not understanding that poetry can also be sad. Uh, so a bit, a bit of sad poetry. He was during a battle that he was filming. He got shot. He got mortally wounded, and he fell to the ground and dropped his camera. And the camera landed in such a position that he filmed his own death. So he filmed, the camera fell to the ground and filmed him bleeding out and dying. And he was like a famous war journalist. So, you know, like sad, poetic ending to that story. But that's, that, you know, this is what used to take place in journalism. 
before green screens, right? And now, now we have to do this big song and dance. This we have to do this whole big production about this fucking journalist who stood outside of and mean the barricade, ladies and gentlemen, the barricade which looks like garbage left on somebody's front, you know, on on the on the front lawn of somebody's house waiting for council pickup. Somebody is confronted by these two weaker piss individuals who come up and say, "Hey, listen, you need to get the fuck out of here. You're being called up. You're being called out for who you are. I don't give a fuck who you are." And they go, "Oh, okay." And they apologize and scurry away like a cockroach under a fridge when somebody flips on the light in a dirty apartment. They scurry off, and now it's like, "Oh, tell us about your experience. Tell us about your ordeal. Tell us about your ordeal." The, the self-aggrandizement of the modern-day journalist is fucking pathetic. These are pathetic people who have really high opinions of themselves. If you haven't been able to tell, I pretty much hate everybody. So I'm against the people in the chairs. I'm against the journalists. Fuck it. You know what? I'm against all of you. Fuck it. Who cares? Had enough. Done. <laughs> Fuck it. Who cares? It's us against the world now. That's it. That's all we've got left. <laughs> Oh, tell us about your experience. How did you feel? Did you feel confronted, confronted and threatened? Yes, my life was at risk. Remember during, remember during the um, the twenty sixteen campaign where that reporter got pushed like ever so gently by Corey Lewandowski. Remember that? Oh my God, she was physically assaulted. You know, fuck off. This this is the modern day journalist. I remember stories of journalists who were so dedicated to their job that they would literally take a bullet and fucking die for it in order to bring the news to people. And, you know, two upper-middle-class white kids acting like fucking LARPing as revolutionaries is enough to make you piss your pants and you think you deserve the same respect. Fuck off. Get the fuck out of here. Not a chance in hell. So now let's see this fucking pretty boy with the... Look, you can tell he puts product in his hair. God, I miss the old real journalists. He's wearing a fucking designer shirt with the top button undone with product in his hair. And look how he's trying to do like... mm, He's he's doing blue steel. He's doing blue steel at the fucking camera, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this guy. (laughs) Come on, mate. Come on, mate. Don't be such a, in the words, to steal a line from Alex Jones, don't be such a chicken-necked little pansy. Fucking hell. Night to talk about this encounter. Brian, walk us through exactly walk us what through. was happening. Walk we us through pars- the experience, Brian. <laughs> actually hear uh, what was said. Yeah, Marnie, well, we were there obviously covering the Derek Chauvin trial. There was a break in court, so we decided to go out to see the George Floyd Memorial, which is about 15 minutes from downtown. We got out there. I immediately noticed I'd heard that it was this autonomous zone, but it's really not just a block. It's like a six-block area. It's always always the whiny voices as well. Michelle Fields. That's right. Lonnie in the chat. Thank you, Michelle Fields. That's the one. And when we decided to break away from the break away from the court case, and we decided to go to the, the chop, which is only 15 minutes away. <laughs> Chicken neck little fancy. <laughs> yeah, uh, that these activists has have closed off. They've got their... <laughs> Carrier monkey. Festive. A festive individual. 
flaming. <laughs> They've also got these makeshift, almost guard huts that they've set up. Um, so I walked inside that zone, hoping we could get some video of the Floyd Memorial. That's when two people approached me, said we needed to get out right away or that things could turn uh, bad in their words. So we walked out. We decided it wasn't worth the risk. We'd just get our video from yeah. uh, on the other side of the... Wasn't worth the risk. <laughs> This is going to sound like a cliche. This is going to sound contrived, but I'm being genuine here. Where's the where's the fearless American journalist now? You you people wanted everybody, the news consuming community, to suck your dick over the last four years. You act like oh we're so brave, we're standing up to power and shit. You are frauds. Where is the fearless fu uh, fucking American journalist who confronted with these two anemic, obese? and low IQ, upper middle class white LARPers, where is the fearless American journalist to just kick the barricade out of the way and go, this is fucking America. I'm going to go film this thing. If you, if you want to stop me, you fucking stop me. Where is that journalist? Where is he? You tell me. Where are they? Look, if you don't get out of here, there's gonna be you're gonna be in a bad way. If you don't get out of here, there's gonna be trouble. What from you? Fuck off, Junior. You know, where's that journalist? Send that guy in there. You know what they need? This is gonna. You know what they need? You might not like this. They need Alex Jones. They need Al They need Alex because Alex would fucking barricade. Barricade. Alex would get in his ridiculous fucking freedom truck with the eagle painted on the side and just drive 60 mile an hour right through the fucking thing. This is goddamn America, you son of a bitch. I'll take, I'll take photographs whenever I goddamn want to. Fuck you. you know, like, that's what you need. And the modern day journalists are like, Alex Jones is the problem. Coming up after the break, how our pretty boy reporter was scared away from a, a news story by two unarmed, obese lesbians. Fuck it, Dimmy, right? Where are the good journalists? Do they, do they even exist anymore? The answer is, of course, no, they do not. <laughs> Any good journalists are like, Anyone who's actually good at what they do isn't working for one of these publications. You know, there are exceptions. They're rare. Rare as they are, there are exceptions. But generally speaking, if you show any kind of aptitude and ethical um, adherence or principled stance on what journalism is and what its function is and your role in it, if you have any of those qualities, you won't get jobs. You won't get hired most of the time. Because at some point you're going to write something or say something that, you know, management will find problematic and therefore it's not worth hiring you. They'd much, ra they'd much rather hire people who, um, you know, people who have basic English skills who can pump out 10 little 500 worders a week. You know, just get it out, fucking get it out. And you just, you just rewrite government press releases and corporate press releases and that's it. That's the end of it. That's what your job is then at that point. The barricade, uh, and that's when that exchange happened, Marty. Brian, I know as a reporter, you've been in some precarious situations. Uh, walk us through how you were feeling in that moment, feeling through. threatened, fearful. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I want. I, I felt like we had a right to be there, and obviously we felt did. Like, it's a public. Felt like. Felt like. <laughs> you do. <laughs> oh, we felt like. What do you mean, fucking felt like, mate? <laughs> oh, we felt like we had a. We had a right to be there. No, 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 no. no you definitely. You most definitely do, mate. You do have a right to be there. We're just waiting for, you know, the, the journalists who aren't chicken neck little pansies to go in and say, hey, this is my fucking story. I'm going to go film it. Fuck you. <laughs> Remembering as well, if they if there were just American flags hanging, if the, you put two American flags in that, in, in that environment, all of a sudden it'll become a pseudo paramilitary compound. Street. It's a public area. It's it's a neighborhood, um, and I was frustrated that they were trying to kick us out. Um, but I, you know, we needed to get back to the trial. Also, I had heard from people outside the the courtroom on the streets in downtown Minneapolis who had said that people in that area in the autonomous zone were sometimes armed. So we didn't really want to take uh, any chances after they tried to intimidate us. So we felt uh, it was probably safest to, to just leave at that. What do you mean tried to? They didn't try to intimidate you. They did intimidate you. I mean, you literally said you were, you left because you were being threatened. <laughs> I, I went to this place and somebody threatened me and I left. Turns out they were trying to intimidate me. What, what do you mean trying? They did intimidate you. You left because they intimidated you. <laughs> Can't even be honest with himself in this moment. Yeah, we were fearful of our safety. I was very frustrated. I felt like I had a right to be there. And then they kicked me out. Um, they said bad things were going to happen, so we decided to leave. They were trying to intimidate me. <laughs> I just... I just. You don't know the amount of conversations I've had over the years with people where we end up fighting because I have this autistic fucking need to have words mean things I mean silly me but you know I'll say what I mean and then a friend will infer, like just imply something completely different how many I'm sure plenty of you have had this conversation as well I, I say what I mean when I'm being serious not when I'm being sarcastic but I'll say what I mean and then somebody's like oh so you're saying this and I'm like no no I'm saying what I just said and nothing more I, I feel like you're saying this. Who cares what you feel like? You don't care what I feel like? It's just... Conversations outside of the people you've known and grown up with who, and you understand each other, conversations outside of that group, as I'm getting dangerously close to 40 now, I realise that's the reason why I don't make new friends. It's not because, like, I, I don't... You know, I don't want to make new friends. It's not because, um, yeah, you know, I it's, maybe I'm being a bit too dramatic. I don't, I don't need new friends. But <laughs> maybe that's the reason why it's not like I'm not getting into like all of these social because having to explain yourself to new people who don't understand you is just so fucking agonizing. It's not worth doing. You know what I mean? Maybe this is a thing that comes with age. You just, as you get older, you care less and less and less and less and less what people think. 
And I never really cared what people thought when I was 30. You know, I didn't really care. I kind of cared what people thought when I was 25. But I've been a long time on this ride. And I care even less. I wake up every day caring even less what people think. You know? <laughs> because... <clears throat> Having, <clears throat> because there are so many people out there now that words don't mean anything to them. They'll just, they use them and they listen to them, but they don't actually mean what they say. And therefore, having a conversation with this person becomes a fucking chore. Because everything is second guessed. They'll just, they just make up their own version of the conversation, regardless of what you say. And if you hold them to what they say, Oh, that's not what I meant. Fucking, what are you talking? You know, you're the asshole. It's like, okay. <laughs> and I think on a subconscious level, at least, a lot of people have picked this up with the with the corporate press. They pick up this quality, this disingenuousness. Uh, the courtroom on the streets in downtown Minneapolis who has said that people in that area in the autonomous zone were sometimes armed. So we didn't really want to take uh, any chances after they tried to intimidate us. So we. <laughs> after they tried. Now, you can say they tried to intimidate you if you stay there, dickhead. Fuckhead. You, you can say they tried to intimidate you if you walked past them and got the shot. That's how it works. You don't get to say, oh, they tried to intimidate... They tried to intimidate us after they chase you away. I'll see you in hell. You don't get to say that. And that's the thing. That's, that's the reason why conversations with people who don't understand you or, you know... This is... I'm very lucky to have the friend circle that I have because... Everybody I know says what they think. Most of the time, anyway. Sometimes they don't, and that's fucking annoying, but most people do. But most people, a lot of people are like this idiot, too. I mean, after we got chased away, they tried to intimidate us. No, they did, mate. They did intimidate you. Oh, what are you saying? No, they didn't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not worth talking to most people, I think. <laughs> and with that, ladies and gentlemen, let's leave it that for tonight. Wednesday night edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'll be back on Friday with another episode. I've got a whole bunch of random stories to go over on Friday. I might even invite a couple of friends on to the show. Maybe we'll open up the phone lines or something, have a bit of a call in. It's one of those weeks. So thank you for joining us. <clears throat> Don't forget to follow our friends. Later on tonight, I think Irrational Times might have started. Uh, Coffee Talk with Sandra, everybody's favourite lover of French women. Uh, who else? Just, just you know, you already you already know. Anybody who he, who's here right now already knows who to follow. So just go and follow. All right. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you to everyone to, who contributed tonight on DLive. Like I said, I'll be back on Friday with another episode. Till then, stay calm, stay rational, God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.